So today, if you didn't pick up a handout, is there anybody that doesn't have a handout? Okay, you guys know the routine pretty well, so get that out. There's some awesome scriptural truths on here that I believe are powerful, and we know that his word is alive. Powerful. Amazing. So we're just gonna, I'm just going to go to the word. The, this is a series I've been teaching entitled Possess the Land. And we started at the very beginning of the series talking about the Israelites. There was a promised land prepared for them. In fact, that promised land had been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years to Abraham and Abraham's son and Abraham's son's son, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, or Isaac and Jacob. And then, then God set it in motion. And he delivered the, the Israelites out of slavery, got them in the, in the wilderness, and they were ready to enter, except <laughs> they had unbelief. Except when they went and spied out that amazing promised land, their perspective was all wrong. They were seeing the giants as bigger than their great big God. They were seeing themselves as grasshoppers. They were in fear instead of believing God and his promise. So the result was nobody from that generation except Joshua and Caleb, nobody entered the promised land. Forty years later, after the whole generation had died out, only Joshua and Caleb were allowed by God to live and, and, and lead the, the next generation into the promised land. But God told them, 40 years later, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 1, he said, first you must dispossess the inhabitants. And then you must possess the land. So they had the promised land. It was their possession, but they didn't get it. They didn't actually take possession of it until they took authority, until they used their authority. And then God was with them. God, we know the stories. He fought the battles, and it was miraculous the way that they possessed that whole promised land. So then we talked about how does that apply to us? Well, our promised land is everything that has been purchased for us through the grace of God, everything that Jesus paid for. It is such an immense benefit package. It includes uh, forgiveness so that there's no more barrier between God and us. And we can be in that face-to-face -face relationship experiencing his amazing love. We are his children as a result of the promises of the new covenant. We are delivered, delivered from any work of the enemy. Jesus didn't just defeat sin. He defeated the curse that went along with sin. But in order to receive and possess the benefits, we need to believe it. We need to, under, we need to know it. We need to hear it. We need to believe it. We need to take possession of it. So that's what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. The first week we really talked about possessing the truth. Because unless you know the truth, you're not going to benefit from it. We need to possess truth. We talked about meditating on truth. We talked about letting it feed our soul. We talked about um, um, asking God to show us his promise for whatever situation we're in. And then take that promise and believe it. But in order to believe it, you really need to let it just minister to your soul. So we talked a lot about possessing the truth. The second week, we talked about possessing our real identity. Possessing the identity that we have as children of God. Because what do we see in this world? 
we see many of us possessing lies, an identity that isn't true, possessing the identity of being rejected, being abandoned, being inferior, being not good enough, being unworthy, or in the setting of, of a healing class, accepting the identity of a diagnosis, chronic pain, a death sentence, whatever it is that the doctor gives you, accepting it as who you are. When God says, oh no, that's not who you are. Jesus said, by my stripes, you have been healed, past tense. It's part of our benefit package. The truth is that we're healed and made whole. But if we don't understand that, if we don't know the truth, then we can't possess the benefits of the truth. So we talked about possessing our true identity. And then the third session, we talked about specifically about healing. But we talked about three areas. I don't believe God just wants you healed. He wants more than that. He wants us to live in divine healing and divine health and a divine life Amen. in full, every part of it, not just your physical body, but every part of your life. He wants us to live a divine life. That's what he came to give us. John 10, 10, very clear. There's a line in the sand. He says, the thief comes in order to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you a life, a good life, an abundant life. So the way I see it, if it's stealing, killing, or destroying, it's the enemy's camp. If it's good, it's God. And I believe God wants us to live in that abundance of life. Every season, just because we're getting more birthdays doesn't mean that we can't have that abundance of life in every area. So today, we're going to move into the fourth, fourth um, part of the series. There's going to be one more. Um, it's going to be five parts total. But this teaching I have shared um, a couple of years ago, and it is such a powerful truth that I felt compelled to share it. The title of this, the subtitle is Only Believe. And what we're going to look at is a problem and a solution. A problem that can hinder us from possessing the land, possessing the promise, possessing, in this case, the fullness of our he divine healing, divine health, and divine life. And that problem is unbelief. And I'm going to go back to the story of the Israelites to give you evidence of what I'm saying. And then we're going to get, this is a two-part, two halves of today, tonight. The first half is the problem, and then we're going to go to the solution. And I'm going to share with you some really good news. So I pray right now, Father God, for no condemnation, first of all. No condemnation. Because, God, you are love. You, are, you, you care about us like crazy. And you want us well. So I know, God, that you've made every way. You've made the way. You've paved the way. You've uh, taken the curse for us. You've taken the stripes on your back for us. You've done everything. And I thank you, Father, that this powerful truth is integral. And I thank you for giving it to us tonight in your word. But may there be no condemnation. If, if you're seeing yourself in this teaching, may it be a, a treasure and you say, thank you, God, for showing me truth. Thank you, Father, for unveiling this, this potential barrier 
to me receiving healing and thank you that I step out of that and into the fullness of what you've given to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's go to scripture. This is Hebrews chapter three, and I'm gonna read um, several verses from this chapter. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any one of you a wicked, unbelieving heart which refuses to trust and rely on the Lord, a heart that turns away from the living God. I, I noticed in this that it uses the word wicked with unbelieving. You know, that's really the only sin that God, that God is concerned about because everything else is under the blood. But if we don't believe, God can't get us the benefits. We can't possess the land with unbelief. Everything else is under the blood. But what, you know, it's, it's through grace and our believing that we receive the benefits of grace. So that's wicked to God. And he said, take care that there not be in any of you a wicked, unbelieving heart, a heart that doesn't trust, a heart that turns away from the living God. When I was preparing this, I was thinking, well, God, I would never turn my heart away from you. And I felt like this is what I heard. If you're facing the problem, if your eyes are on the problem, if your focus is on the problem, then you are turning away from me because you can't be both directions at once. So that's the first part of the scripture. Then I'm going to go on to verse 14 and 15. Can't we? Thank you. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. That's the promised land. That's a, that's a great promise. If we're faithful in our part, and if we simply trust God, then we will share in the promised land. But then there's another warning. Remember what it says. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. So now it's talking about hardened hearts. Hearts that aren't sensitive to God. Hearts that are, are more sensitive to the problem, are more consumed with the giants than with God. And then the next verse I'm going to read is verse 19. So we see that they were not able to enter into his rest, the promised land, because of unbelief and an unwillingness to trust in God. So that, I use the Amplified for that verse because it was, spells it right out. When the, it this is talking about entering the rest. But this specifically says they, they couldn't enter the rest. They couldn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Next thing I want to do is I want to go to Jesus. I, wanna, I always love to use Jesus as our teacher. So I'm going to read um, an account from the scripture of Jesus. And I'm going to read it from two different accounts, from Matthew and from Mark. This is the account of the little boy with epilepsy that Jesus healed. And we're going to look at this whole thing about belief and unbelief. If you guys are familiar with Andrew Womack's teaching, this is the first time I heard this, this truth. It completely, oh, it rocked my world. And that's where the foundation, I'm giving credit, because this, this foundation of this teaching is from Andrew Womack. So here's this, this scripture. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to Jesus, kneeling down to him and saying, 
Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Listen to what Jesus says. Oh, perverse and faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Now, guys, that's our loving compassion in Jesus. Sounds like he's frustrated. He's saying, guys, why aren't you believing me? Faithless means not believing, unbelieving. And then what did he do? Jesus, you know, they brought the little boy to him. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. And the child was cured at that very hour. But then the disciples came to Jesus privately later, and they said, why could we not cast it out? So let's, let's delve into that question a little bit, because this is a really good question. When the disciples asked that question, they already had seen the miracle worker. They believed in God's will to heal. They had seen Jesus heal. And not only had they seen Jesus heal, they had also been authorized to heal. This is chapter 17. Matthew chapter 10 is when Jesus sent them out with the authority to heal and cast out demons. I'm going to read it. Matthew 10, 1. And Jesus summoned to him his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of disease and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. In the parallel account of being sent out, this is Luke 9, verse 6, after departing, they went about from village to village, preaching the gospel and restoring the afflicted to health everywhere. So Jesus had imparted to them the authority to heal and to cast out demons. And they saw it. They saw it happening. The next verse, actually this is... This is um, when Jesus sent the 70, not just 12, not just the 12 inner circle, but a bigger circle, 70. And the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. So, back to the story of the little boy with epilepsy. The disciples, the same disciples who said, Lord, why can't we, why, didn't, why weren't we able to cast it out? Those same disciples had already believed. They had already successfully exercised power and authority. They had seen demons cast out. They had seen people healed. They did believe. They did believe. That's why they were confused. That's why they asked. Now look at yourself. I do. That's what I'm doing right now as I'm teaching. Because I've asked the same question. God, I have authority. First of all, I believe this with all my heart. I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus heals today. I believe it's God's will to heal. No question. But I've asked myself the same question. I've asked God the same question. Why? I'm going to read what's in my notes. Perhaps you've asked yourself the same question. You believe in God's will to heal. You know that Jesus completed the work. You know that it's finished. You know you have the power and authority over the work of the devil. That's why you're confused if you don't see the results when you speak with authority, when you command something to go and it doesn't go. So let's look at Jesus' answer. They asked, why could we not cast it out? 
And this is what Jesus answered. Because of your unbelief. Now I'm going to compare and contrast belief and unbelief. Jesus didn't say it was because they had little faith. He didn't say it was because they had weak faith. He said it was because they had unbelief. Most people think if they believe God, then that automatically means they don't have any unbelief. But you can have belief and unbelief at the same time. Now I'm going to go to the second account of the little boy with epilepsy. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. This is from the Gospel of Mark. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples so that they should cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And then they brought the little boy to Jesus. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, God, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And this is what Jesus said. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. They're both there. Belief and unbelief. Faith can be canceled out with unbelief. Now, this is Andrew's analogy, and it's a good one. Picture for a moment a wagon filled with a heavy load, a farm wagon filled, let's say, rocks. And on that wagon, there's two teams of horses, a team on the right and a team on the left. That's my right, my left. If both teams of horses are pulling that load at the same time, the net effect is zero. It's not going anywhere. They're negating each other's power. Now think of what, what this, this concept that I'm, I'm presenting to you. Remember, I'm going to give you a solution in a minute because I don't want any condemnation because every one of us are saying, God, I have a belief. I can't possibly believe all the time. Don't worry. I'm going to get there. Don't, no condemnation in Jesus' name. Picture this, that wagon, that heavy load is your situation with all of its stuff. The, it might be a physical situation. It might include um, pain, doctor's visits, treatment plans, money things that go along with that, worries, anxieties, concerns, a lot of concerns, a lot of focus, a lot of time, a lot of pressure. Everything in that wagon, it's a big, big, heavy burden. On one side of that wagon is your believing. On that side of the wagon is you sitting right here in this healing class. That's building your faith. On this side of the wagon is the precious promises of God 
that you have discovered that have become more and more and more deeply planted and rooted and established in your heart. Maybe you're just starting to plant them there, but you just keep doing it. Because what you're doing is you're just building up the strength of this team of horses on this side of the wagon. On this side of the wagon is, is praise and worship. Declaring God is your victor. Declaring that you're more than a conqueror, not because of you, but because of him. On this side of the wagon is the prayer of agreement and the power of coming together as a body of believers. On this side of the wagon is, is um, ministering spirits, the angelic realm, everything that God has planned for you, the power of your spoken word, the sword of the spirit. That is all you're believing and growing in your believing and, and just being enriched and developed in your believing. That's all on this side of the wagon. On this side of the wagon, the doctor's reports. Especially if you're pouring over those doctor reports, figuring out what it all means, looking up all the words, <laughs> so that you know and understand, talking about that doctor's report, researching, figuring out what you're gonna do, talking to people, getting opinions, getting second opinions, getting third opinions, looking at the situation in your body, focusing on the situation in your body, meditating on the problem. All of that is on this side of the wagon. And if your focus is here, then you're negating that side because you're giving it life, you're giving it power, you're feeding it, you're fueling it. So unbelief and belief. I'm going to read a few more scriptures um, in this area. James 1, verse 6 and 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's a hard one. You know, being tossed back and forth by the word and the problem, the love of God and the symptoms, etc., etc. But, Jesus, thank you. This next scripture shows you the amazing compassion of Jesus, the amazing love of God. Because this follows the next, can't we go to the next frame? This, go, this follows the question, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, but listen to this, but assuredly, I say to you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. That's the second time Jesus has said that. He said it to the man when, when the man said, please have compassion on me. And Jesus said, if only you believe, nothing is impossible. And here he's telling his disciples, if you just have this much faith, just this much, nothing is impossible. You can move the mountain from here to there. So here's the key. Even if your faith is tiny, it's enough to cast a mountain into the sea. You don't need a big faith. But you do need a pure faith that isn't canceled out, counterbalanced, or negated by unbelief pulling 
in the opposite direction. Now, this is the way I love to envision it. Let's say I have six horses on this end and six on that end. If I get rid of one of those, now I have six to five. If I stop um, um, you know, doing research, I get rid of another one. And now I have four or six to four. If I stop talking about the problem all the time, then I get rid of another one. And now I have six to three. If I stop testing my body and looking in my body and feeling my body and saying, nope, not going to look at you, body. I'm looking at the word. Then I get rid of another one of those horses. And now I have six to two. And let me tell you, those six horses are going to win. They're going to make progress. So I'm not saying that we're, none of us are perfect, but I am saying there's things we can do to help to get rid of unbelief. And that's what the, the solution part of this teaching tells us. So a couple more points. Unbelief comes in the same way that faith comes. Faith comes by hearing, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by possessing the truth, by renewing your mind to the truth. But unbelief comes in a similar way. Unbelief comes when we focus our attention on everything else besides God and his word and the truth. It comes when we ponder, when we consider, when we meditate, when we worry, when we think about the problem. And, and we have a choice. We have a choice. We don't have to let those negative thoughts, the what ifs, this is the diagnosis, this is what the doctor says, so then what comes next? What comes next? What comes next? If that's your thought process, if that's what you're meditating on, then you're feeding unbelief. The key isn't learning how to develop a huge faith. Rather, it's learning how to decrease the amount of unbelief in your life. Three kinds of unbelief. This is another piece of Andrew's teaching. It's really good. The first one is ignorance. The first kind of unbelief is ignorance. It simply means you don't know truth. Nobody's told you the truth. Nobody's told you the good news. That's why I love to do what I do. Because it's so easy to get rid of that unbelief. You just share this amazing good news. When Jenny, my, my, my Jenny who led me to the Lord, not this Jenny, she's awesome too, a different Jenny, led me to Jesus and started to tell me truth. I'd never heard it before. And it, what did I have to lose? I tell a lot of people that. I say, what do you have to lose? And you have a whole lot to gain. And I chose to accept and start to, uh, I, I, at first it was just good news. It was too good to be true news, but at least it was good news, and all I'd gotten from my doctors was bad news. So I started to read the Bible and what the Bible said. And I had questions, 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 and Jenny just opened her Bible to give me the answers. So I started to fill my heart with truth, and that unbelief left. Faith started to grow. So that's the first kind of unbelief. The second one is called disbelief. This one is harder to counter. Disbelief comes from being taught wrong doctrine. Remember the friend that I said um, that um, one of the testimonies I shared, the woman with the autistic son, who when her son was diagnosed had been taught that it wasn't God's will to heal, that that died with the apostles. And until she learned the real truth, she had to replace the old with the new. So in order to do that, there needs to be rich teaching of absolute truth that, that 
is so powerful that the, the misperceptions are dispelled with the truth and then belief can come. And that's what I've seen in this woman, Janet. And she has seen those amazing results in her son. Thank you, God. But the third kind, and this is the one we're really going to talk about tonight, the third kind is called natural unbelief. Natural unbelief comes from natural information in our life that is contrary to God's word. Because we're human, we've come to believe or to learn through what we see, what we hear, what we sense, what we experience. We've come to learn through our senses. But God says faith is believing outside of the realm of senses. So the natural unbelief comes with the situation that you're in the middle of. The, the, everything that you're in the middle of, everything that's in that wagon, it's really big. It's very close, upfront pain. Flo, remember when you were living in all that pain. That's pretty hard to put aside and put your eyes on God and say, I believe you, you're bigger than this pain. Doctors' reports, they're factual. I'm not saying they're not factual. But God's truth is a higher, has a higher authority. So in the natural unbelief comes with everything that surrounds us, people's opinions, doctors' reports, symptoms, all that junk is really hard to come over and to, to not let that in. So let's go back to the apostles for just a minute. Think about the apostles with that little boy. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick. But now in front of them, there's a little boy with epilepsy. He was probably having a seizure in front of their eyes. They had something very distracting in front of them. It was very difficult for them to see that in front of them and to have the belief to speak and have that leave. Jesus' faith was so pure. He just immediately said, get out of there, and it left. But the disciples were letting their natural unbelief get in the way. When I pray for people, one of the benefits we have, phone ministry, is that we're not in the midst of the situation. So if, I'm, if somebody calls me and they're in extreme pain, I'm not in extreme pain. So I can stand in faith. I don't have that natural unbelief going on in my body. I have the belief of the word that says Jesus carried our pain. And I can speak to that pain. I can command that pain. I can stand with powerful faith. And I have a, just a very strong anointing for pain to leave. When I speak to that pain over the phone, it's awesome. And they'll say, oh my gosh, I'm just feeling a huge relief because natural unbelief isn't getting in my way. But it is difficult for them because they're in the middle of pain. The similar situation if I'm in a, a, a situation where I'm praying for somebody who's very, very sick and they look very sick. For example, maybe they're very thin or, or um, on a lot of machines or whatever. When I pray for somebody like that, I close my eyes and I see Jesus, and I see Jesus in me, or I see me in him, and him laying hands on them. I do that usually because he's way bigger than me. So, because the Bible says that Christ is in us and we are in him, right? So I see myself in him, and I see Jesus in that room laying hands on that person. I see Jesus with the stripes on his holy back. 
I, I meditate on his word, but I'm doing it with my eyes closed because I don't want natural unbelief to get in the way of my faith because natural unbelief is loud and it shouts loud in your ears and in your heart. So let's talk about the solution now. The solution to get the horses off of this end of the wagon completely. To starve unbelief and to feed faith. That's the, that's the bottom line. Instead of feeding unbelief, we need to starve unbelief. Because unbelief comes when you feed it. So if you starve it, it withers and dies. It has to be fed to thrive. So in order to get rid of unbelief, we need to starve it. And we need to feed our faith. I'm going to go back again to the same account of the little boy. This is the Mark account, chapter 9. And when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now, I'm not going to teach on fasting right now, fasting food, but this is what I am going to teach on. Fasting unbelief. Starving unbelief. And prayer is feeding your faith. Prayer is communing with God. Prayer is agreeing with God. Prayer is saying what God says. Prayer is praising him for who he is and what he's done. That builds faith. So this kind, when there's that much natural unbelief in the situation, comes through fasting unbelief, starving unbelief, and feeding faith. So I'm going to share three ways to starve unbelief, and I'm going to share several ways, I don't know how many, to feed faith. Okay, here we go. Starving unbelief. First of all, separate yourself from the negative the best that you can. Separate yourself. That's in the physical realm. There, there might be people you need to separate yourself from. There may be phone calls you don't make because you know that all you're going to get is what, what is... Uh, you know that when you talk to that person, oppression hits. Instead of being edified, you're knocked down. You may need to separate yourself from people, certain people or certain situations. But you also need to think about your mind. Where's your focus? Where's your attention? Are you separating yourself from fearful thoughts? Are you taking those captive? What are you considering? What are you considering not? I have a really powerful teaching I want to refer you to, and it's on our website. It's entitled, The Condition of Your Heart, and it's the part two. There's part one and part two. It's the part two. And the subtitle is, Where is Your Attention? Because in this teaching, this is the whole focus. Separating yourself from the negative and focusing on good instead of the problem. I'm just going to give you one scripture because I don't have time to go into depth on that whole concept. But listen to this powerful truth. This is about Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken over him so shall your descendants be now we know the story it was a hopeless situation but he still believed 
We're talking about belief and unbelief right now. It was absolutely hopeless in the natural. We're talking about natural unbelief. But he believed. He didn't have unbelief. He believed, and this is a key. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, um, which was already, already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He would not consider his own impotence his own, and his wife's barrenness and their age. He said, nope, not looking that way. I'm looking at the promise of God. Now, I think it took time to get there because it was 25 years in coming. It took, probably took time for him to get to that point, but that's a good word for you and for me. Consider not the issue. Where is your focus? Where is your attention? Separate yourself from negative things. The second thing to starve or the, to help you starve your unbelief is to guard your heart and ask yourself, what am I feeding my heart? Proverbs 4.23, listen to this serious word from God. God says, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. That sounds serious, doesn't it? God doesn't just say, you know, be careful. Oh, no. He says, guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. That word vigilance means alert and watchful. And the reason to be vigilant is to avoid danger. Because he says, out of your heart, there's a potential for it to be the source of life. And that word life is che. That word che means physical life. So out of your heart, there's the potential to reap the fullness of life. But you've got to feed it the right things. Your heart determines what you believe. And my, the word heart is your soul, your inner man, your mind, your will, your emotions. If you feed your heart with the stuff on that side of the wagon, the doctor's reports, the fear-filled things, the symptoms, etc., you're going to be in doubt, fear, and unbelief. You're feeding unbelief. But if you feed your heart truth, you're going to be growing in faith. And your heart, you're guarding your heart and you're feeding it what's good. So guard your heart. These are ways to starve unbelief, separate yourself from the negative, feed your heart what's good, and the third one is to guard your tongue. What are you speaking? Proverbs 18, 21. Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. So those are three ways to starve unbelief. And I believe we're all moving in that direction. Now we're going to talk about feeding faith. Feeding faith. And I wish I would have um, looked up the scripture. I want you to just write these words down. You can look it up yourself. Faith works through love. It is scripture. I'm just, oh, somebody's looking it up for me. Thank you. It's a part of a scripture. There's more to it than that, but that's in there. Faith works through love. Because the love of God, meditating on the love of God should be number one. And I didn't have that here on my notes, so I just want to make sure that you put it on your notes. Because that love makes everything change. The love of God. But I'm going to give you lots of other steps as well. Romans 4, verse 20 and 21. This is again Abraham. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. There we go. Remember, we're distinguishing between unbelief and belief. He did not waver in unbelief. 
but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Praise and worship. He was giving glory to God. And as he gave glory to God, unbelief was of no avail. And his faith was strengthened. See why I have to stand so far away from you? Because I spit a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> thank you. And he was fully convinced. That's the belief part. He was fully convinced that what God had, God had promised, he was able to perform. What is it that you're seeking him for? Strength, peace. What is it? The promise says it's, it's true, it's real. God is not a man that he should lie. And as we praise him for, for, for who he is and what he does, it just grows up in us so that we believe him. As we were praising him with that beautiful song, you are my champion, God. I don't know about you, but I was just stirred up, like almost like a battle cry, or better yet, a victory cry. That's a power of worship and praise and giving glory to God. So on our list, exalt God and his word. Praise and worship him for who he is, for his promises, and for what his word says he's done. And right in that same um, area of exalting God, exalt him for what you've seen him do in your life. The little things, the great things, the things in your past, maybe things that he's done in your friend's life or your mother's life or your children's lives. Keep that in front of you. Exalt him. Because what are you doing? You're feeding your faith. You're feeding your faith. The next one on our list is to keep your eyes on Jesus and on the finished work of the cross. Powerful. Meditate on what he's done. I, I mean, I love to just meditate on his, on his finished work, on the stripes that he took on his back for me, on the... the, the, the Oh, I love this word. It's in Hebrews 12, verse 2, and it says that for the joy of obtaining the prize, he endured the cross. I love to just meditate on that and the love that he poured out for us. So meditate on the work of the cross and what Jesus did. And a really good way to do that is through communion, where you take communion on a consistent basis. And as you do, don't make it a ritual. Take time, meditate on the body and the blood of Jesus and what he purchased for us. The next point, feed on truth constantly. You know, many of us have our quiet time with God, but God doesn't want us to have a 20-minute or a 50-minute or an hour time with him. He wants us to meditate on his truth all the time. So feed yourself throughout the day, whatever that might look like, throughout the night. You're doing it right now. I've given you lots of resources. You know, we have a Monday night healing class. We have a Tuesday night healing class. We have, um, there's all sorts of um, internet resources that are free and that are good. The newest one that I've discovered is called healingradio.org. And it's on the computer. It's an internet um, healing radio, 24-7. And it's all about healing. That's the only topic. A lot of the good Christian stations have a lot of topics. But if you need to feed your soul with healing, that's healing 24-7. Teachers, um, um, praise and worship about healing, declarations, Bible verses about healings where they're speaking it, you can just put it on and listen and feed your soul. 
Feed your soul truth while you're cooking. Feed your soul truth while you're sleeping. Just put it on and let it play. So keep feeding on truth constantly. What are you doing? You're feeding faith and starving unbelief. Possess the truth. Ask God for a word for your need, a specific word. Pay attention. He'll show you. He'll confirm it. And then possess it. Take it. Speak it. Meditate on it. Feed on it. Let it get deeper and deeper and deeper in your soul. Possess the truth. Possess your true identity in Christ. You are who he says you are, not who your mother says you are, not who your husband says you are. You are who he says you are. You are a child of God with the inheritance of God. You are a king and a priest. I love the part of the song that we sang that says, we are seated with him in heavenly places. That's who you are. That's who I am. I am more than a conqueror. I am healed, whole, and delivered. The law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's who I am. I possess divine healing, divine health, and divine life. Start proclaiming who you are. Proclaim I am statements according to God's word. And aggressively, aggressively take what's already been done through Jesus. Possess your healing. Declare, I'm healed. Whether I can see, taste, hear, smell, or feel it yet, I am healed. And then act like you believe it. Get excited. Thank God extravagantly. Live a life of thanksgiving. Possess, possess your healing. Amen. Possess the land. And thank you, thank you guys. And, and the bottom line, get rid of unbelief. Starve it. Starve unbelief and feed faith. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Okay. Thank you, God, for that precious word. And again, Father, I pray that we see our, our lives with a, a, a team of six powerful white horses and nothing on that end. All you, God. It's all you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.